Timorese people all know Jesus, whether it's the Jesus of the Catholic Church or whether it's the Jesus in the paddock next door. A lot of people's surname is Jesus. So when you say, oh, do you know Jesus? Sometimes they'll say, yeah, yeah, he's over in the paddock over there. So the question is not, do they know a Jesus? Do they know the Jesus of the Bible? Countless souls around the world who do not know Jesus and can't easily access the gospel. This is the heart of mission. What small role can you play in God's big world? Missionaries, cross-cultural specialists, pastors, their stories and perspectives can really help us. Thanks for joining us. Grab a cuppa and strap in as we demystify, decode and de-stress the great challenges of cross-cultural mission. Hi, Mark Peterson here on the Heart of Mission podcast. Have you thought much about translation as mission? We hear about the many languages of the world that don't have full translations of the Bible, and what an incredible challenge lies ahead in trying to provide those scriptures for those people groups. But translation of other Christian resources can also be a significant fruit for the kingdom. What if the population you are working amongst had a significant but ancient history of church involvement where people kind of think they know what Christianity is about, but actually the church has tended to obscure the gospel? And what they need is simple, clear resources that connect with people and their life situation and bring them the joy and hope that comes from the message of Christ. Could you find yourself breaking through and connecting deeply with people? Your hard work in understanding their, their language and their culture and then communicating that in an effective way, could that lead people to eternal life in Christ? Well, Chris and Grace Adams are doing just this kind of work in Timor-Leste, and it's exciting. They've learned Tetun, one of the key languages of Timor-Leste. They've committed to speaking the gospel into the heart language of the people of this nearby nation. They're equipping local ministry leaders to teach and proclaim the gospel, but the material that they develop to do that is also then being widely distributed throughout the country. What do you know about this nearby nation, Timor-Leste? It's closer to Australia than New Zealand is, and yet I reckon many of us are pretty much in the dark about these neighbours of ours. Chris is going to give us a bit of a potted history, share about the complex mix of different spiritualities, and about some of the ways the gospel is bringing light into dark places. And one of the really cool things about this is that it's not just for the grown-ups. One of the most significant resources they've made available is for the littler members of the community, the ones who we hope and pray will be leading the church in the decades to come. Let's meet Chris Adams. Chris Adams, it's great to have you on the Heart of Mission podcast. Great to be here. And you, along with your wife, Grace, and your kids, Micah and Emily, are serving in Timor-Leste. We'd love to hear a little bit about Timor-Leste in a moment, but I want to start with you and what has taken you to be on the mission field. How long was this journey for you to head over there? How long have you been in Timor-Leste and how did all this fit together? 
Sure. Well, we've been there now for, for 10 years. In 2013, we headed off for the first time. The journey, I think, just has different stages and different moments where you sort of see God leading in a particular direction. But I think the basis of it all is a compulsion, I guess, or a willingness and a conviction of the truth of the gospel you know, of Jesus and the desire to make it known to others. And mm. whether that was, for me, that was, that was begun, I guess, when I was at university. But even before that, I can remember having times of where I thought I've needed to witness to my friends at high school and, and stuff like that. So it's all sort of accumulative in the way that it works and different points here. Yeah, have different things that move you in certain directions. And did you become like a mission conference junkie and sort of go to mission conferences over time or, or was it something that happened, you know, in the fullness of time when it, yeah, how did, how did that happen? No, I was never big on the mission conferences. I can remember from a very young age having a CMS link missionary come to our church when I was at early high school, I think, Karen actually, who's still serving as a CMS missionary. And so having that in the back of my mind that being a missionary is something that people do and going over overseas or going to a different culture to proclaim Christ is, is actually something that's worthwhile for me, just as I, as I grew up and as I sort of recognized, I guess, more and more my uh, gifts and my skills and sort of became more and more certain in my convictions of the gospel. It was a process of heading in that direction. How about Grace? How much of this was a journey that you made together and, and what did it look like for her? Well, I think when Grace and I met, we were both sort of down that path a bit. And that's really, I guess that, that common interest is actually sort of what helped us get together. And we actually met at a Wycliffe Bible Translators Young Adults event. And we were both sort of thinking at that stage that perhaps mission or Bible translation in particular might be something that we could head in the direction of. So, so we had that in common right from the word go for us and thinking about how we can use our whole lives in service of Christ was something that was right there from the beginning of us. We did have a bit of discussion about where or how we would particularly do that. And yeah, that, that took some, some time to work out. Okay. Now let's think about Timor-Leste. It's a really close neighbor for Australia. We, we often hear about our politicians visiting, but I, I reckon a lot of us are a little bit clueless about that country. And I'd love you to just tell us, what do you think Aussies should know about Timor-Leste? Yeah. Well, I mean, Grace herself, when she first became interested, it was through a Bible translation project and, and she became aware of Timor-Leste or East Timor. She became aware of it and she didn't even know, well, what is that? Is that a city? Is that a country? What is that? Where is it? Is it in Africa? Is it, who knows where it is? But it's actually right next door. It's an, an hour and a half flight from Darwin. So it's actually, it's actually closer than New Zealand and one of our nearest neighbors. Uh, and it's a young country. It's about a little over 20 years old uh, in terms of their own independence, but it's got a long history, which goes back to Portuguese colonization around the time of the Reformation. So the Catholic church has been present in Timor-Leste for 500 plus years, and they consider Timor-Leste is an evangelized country as soon as the, the Catholic Church is present there. So Catholicism is very strong in Timor-Leste and the people there are very delightful people, very happy, very fun-loving, but they also have a fierce side to them, which I think really, I'm not sure if it was there before they had this struggle for independence with the Indonesian occupation and so on, but they do have a very fierce side that once it gets exposed, they're very, very strong-willed 
in certain ways, but, but we love being there and we see there's great, great gospel needs in Timor as well as other needs as well. Timor is a developing country and uh, about 1.5 million people. Over the 10 years that we've been there, there's been quite a lot of development. Most people in Australia would know something about Timor for things like the Balabo 5 or the Timor Gap dispute about oil and so on, and maybe even the Australian spying and bugging saga that's been ongoing for many years. It's quite interesting. Australia now, having been about 20 years since independence, probably Timor has a better relationship with Indonesia than they do with Australia, which is quite, I don't know what you say that ironic, but in terms of how history goes, but in terms of people, Timorese people never look at Australians and say they're from Australia who've done the dirty on us. They always, they know the difference between politics and between individuals. So we never receive any type of backlash or scorn because we're Australians at the moment, but yeah, it's a. An interesting country, beautiful country, very mountainous, beautiful diving areas. Tell us a little bit about the people in terms of their cultural background and, and languages. I assume there's quite a few languages there. Is Portuguese in the mix as well? How does that all work in people groups? So the average Timorese person would probably speak at least four languages. Their own native mother tongue, of which there are about 30 around the country. They speak Tetun, which is one of those languages, the Dili language, but it's become the lingua franca of the whole of Timor. They'd speak some Indonesian and they'd speak some Portuguese and possibly, particularly the younger generation, some English as well, but that, that's quite limited. And how's that worked for you guys? Where have you tried to work linguistically? Have you yeah. been learning some of that language? So we've, we've learned Tetun, which if you're a linguist, Tetun is a, is a Portuguese pidgin, which means it's got a, a bunch of Portuguese words wrapped up in the language, but the grammar is completely different. So when, when people from Brazil or Portugal come to Timor, they say, yeah, wait a minute, that guy's speaking my language or not. There's a bunch of words that they recognize, but it's, they don't understand what they're saying. So that's the language we've learned, Tetun. And, uh, yeah, that's the language we do all of our ministry in. Now thinking about the gospel, you indicated that officially it's an evangelized country. What's, what's your take? Well, I often say about Timorese people, Timorese people all know Jesus or a Jesus, whether it's the Jesus of the Catholic church or whether it's the Jesus in the, in the paddock next door, a lot of people's surname is Jesus. So when you say, oh, do you know Jesus? Like, sometimes they'll say, yeah, yeah, he's over in the paddock over there. <laughs> so the question is not, do they know a Jesus? Do they know the Jesus of the Bible? And that's really one that is a very valid question because I think the answer for a lot of Timorese would be no, despite having a long history of Catholicism in Timor, I think the gospel and some of the reality of who Jesus actually is, has been shielded by tradition or by just not having the Bible available for people to read for themselves. But underneath that Catholic veneer is also a very deep, deeply held set of animistic beliefs where people mm. are very conscious of the role of spirits of both the land, of, of ancestors, of good, evil spirits, angels, that sort of language is often in people's speech and uh, the idea of how these spirits actually influence our lives results often in people living in a great deal of fear 
Okay, so can you take us a little bit deeper into this animism? I think we would have heard that term used, and we use we hear it used of, of people from various parts of the world. And you've kind of mentioned different spirits and an awareness of the spirits. But is there some kind of message, or is there some kind of coherent center of animism, or is it kind of different in different places? And like, what actually is it? Help us to understand. Uh, there's not a coherent message apart from the fact that you're not in control of your life. The spirits are, and anybody who can manipulate the spirits has an advantage. So whether that comes through sort of sacrificial practices or whether it comes through prayer or observing sacred things, if you can get on the spirits good side or get them to manipulate them to be able to do things for you, then, then you're going to go well. But you never know. That's the thing. Often people say, oh, this and such and such a bad thing happened to me because that person over there doesn't like me and he cursed me. But there's no sort of affirmation of that. They never go and talk to the person and say, did you do this or anything? Like, it's just like, there's a lot of suspicion and a lot of a powerlessness, really. So uh, as, a, as a Christian and within the, the Christian church over there, I think it's really significant that we can actually say, there's an objective truth that's in the Bible, and we can know that with confidence and know that with certainty, and we don't need to live in fear. I think that idea of fear and the lack of power is really significant. All the spirits are sort of benevolent. They don't have a special motive for doing anything apart from wreaking havoc upon people's lives or seeking power. But uh, yeah, it's a difficult life to live in because... And I mean, in Timor, I think this really does actually keep a lot of people, not just in spiritual poverty, but also in physical poverty, because even wealth that you may have gets used up trying to appease spirits, appease ancestors, appease things like that. And through masses, masses of money spent on sometimes on sacrifices and rituals and stuff like that. So it's actually, it really is a binding force on people's lives that people find very hard to escape from. Chris, tell us about the Day of the Dead. I gather this is a significant day in the annual calendar. Yeah. It doesn't sound too pleasant to me. <laughs> What's it about and is it a is it a good day for people or a, well, a difficult day? It happened in November, the beginning of November every year, which is like coincides with All Souls Day or Saints Day here or Halloween. And it's a day where people are expected to return to their ancestors burial sites or return to their sacred houses and offer sacrifices or prayers to these ancestors in the hope that in the year ahead they'll be received blessing rather than curse and that these spirits will be able to help them. It's a real challenge for Christians because families place a lot of pressure on people to adhere to these practices and if you don't then you're leaving the family open to curse or you're leaving the family open to something terrible happening to them. And whenever the next bad thing happens, you'll be blamed for it. So there's a lot of pressure on, on Christians or people who want to worship Christ exclusively to appease the family by practicing these things. And it's a real great challenge. Now, recently you were doing a seminar on what happens after we die in one of the more remote districts and a woman spoke at the end. And I wonder if you could share what, you know, sure. a bit about the, the background and what she said. 
Yeah, so this seminar we've done in a number of contexts, but it's the first time we've sort of done it outside of Dili up in the mountains, where which is often the sort of cold face for a lot of the spirituality that exists in Timor. And the seminar was really about what happens when we die, what does the Bible say about life after death, and I outlined a short systematic theology that when we die, we have certainty we're in Christ, that we'll be with Christ when we die. And if not, then we have God's judgment and hell as the alternative. And after this seminar, we had a question time and this, this old elderly lady got up and with a, her face was beaming with sort of joy and said, no, look, I, I'm old. I know I'm going to die soon. Now I can, I can die with peace because I know I trust in Christ. And my future is assured. I don't have to have any doubts about whether I will be a spirit that wanders aimlessly around the world or comes back to haunt my family. My future in Christ is assured. And it was just wonderful to see the joy on her face as she affirmed that. And, and it's actually really awesome to also see others hear that testimony from her. Because I think a lot of people would also have the same sorts of thinking as, as she did. Yeah. So. I guess thinking about that sort of experience and the fact that we have a message of peace that speaks into every culture of the world without running over that culture, but nevertheless, identifying the, the areas of deep human need and being able to address that through the life-giving gospel. You're in this context, East Timor, Timor-Leste, and what does your ministry actually look like? How are you occupying your days? And, and Grace, what's she doing as well? But start, we'll start with yourself. Sure. Well, things like that, that seminar is one of the things that I, I try and work on, ways in which we can help provide support from the challenges that Christians face in the, in the Timorese context and equip them to face these challenges from the Bible. One of the big challenges in Timor is that as a developing country, there's a lack of resources in general, but within the Christian community, that lack of resources is also reflected. When we arrive there, there's virtually no resources available for people to engage with the Bible, not even the, the Bible in their, in their own language. That's changed a little bit now that the people have been working on the translation of it and which has been great. But we visited a church the other day and they had a bookshop in the church and that had about probably, I don't know, a hundred titles in it. And that's just, that would just be non-existent in Timor to have any type of resource available to encourage people. So part of what I'm seeking to do is through the teaching, through the training, through the equipping that I do within the church that we serve in, the Presbyterian Church of Timor-Leste, produce resources that can be used more broadly within the church as well. So that seminar that we did on what happens when we die, we, that seminar was converted into a booklet that people could take and people could distribute amongst the, the different churches as well. So much of what I do is, is within the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, amongst the leaders, engaging them and equipping them to preach and to teach and to use God's word well, but also helping to grow that next generation of leaders for the church. So I'm quite involved with the young adults and, and sort of building foundations for them to be equipped with how to engage the Bible at an, at an early age. What Grace is doing, a lot of what she's doing is, has to do with the partnership that we have with Scripture Union, Timor-Leste. This is a ministry that we've sort of helped that ministry to grow and to be established in, in Timor. And a lot of what Grace does is also part of that developing of resources. And Scripture Union, Timor Leste, is growing a name for publishing good Christian material. So one of the big projects that she's been working on is the translation of the David Helm's Big Picture Story Bible. 
So now there's a big picture story Bible with the bilingual, with Tetan and English in it that's have been available for people in Timor for the last three, three or four years now. And alongside that, Grace and the Scripture Union team have produced a curriculum for teaching that Bible within Sunday schools or whether it's in, whether in school scripture type classes or something like that. So you're also working on two other translations of the other books for kids, as well as some other resources as well. The two big arms of what we do is equipping leaders to teach and proclaim the gospel, but also equipping the church with resources to engage with the Bible. And we sort of do that in tandem. So what I teach in the Presbyterian church, we then transform into a booklet, Bible studies, that can be more widely available through Scripture Union for the whole church. Yeah. That sounds fabulous. As you're praying for Timor Leste and you're, you're hoping for the future, what's at the top of your wish list or your prayer list for this, this nation? For the nation, I think the top of my prayer list would be that they would have leaders who will primarily seek to serve the population, serve the people. And that, I mean, that's a prayer you can pray for for most countries in the world, but in particular, Timor, I find that sometimes it's quite jarring the disparity in, in wealth between elites and between the average person and sort of even people who are in poverty. And it's not like there's no resources around, but how are those resources used in an effective way that actually benefits the most people? is something to pray for. I get really sad sometimes when I see a politician driving around and they get these flash new cars every five years or something, but then you see an ambulance drive past and it's a bucket of bolts and it's terrible. So those sorts of things, I think some of the things that's, that really hit me and that's worth praying for. But I think in general, I think pray that people can be able to come out of the spiritual darkness, spiritual blindness that they often live in trapped by these traditional beliefs that they hold. And a lot of people know that it's unhelpful. It's hindering their, their family or hindering their community, but because it's so deeply entrenched and there's sort of a community culture of it to step outside of that's really hard. So I, a great prayer to pray would be to pray for not just Christians, but the community as a whole to actually have some sort of awakening to the spiritual darkness that exists there. They're, yeah, they're good prayers to pray, I think, for the country. What we often ask our guests is, you know, just thinking about others who might join us on the mission field in different parts of the world. What would you say to somebody who's, you know, thinking about, about mission, about their own skills or background? You know, is there a are there a bunch of things that, you know, need to be done in Timor-Leste or places like it? How would you advise them to, to journey on that, that discernment path? I think the number one step is to, in whatever context you're in, be seeking to serve, whether it's cross-culturally or whether it's just in whatever way, because I think when you get into a cross-cultural context, you need to, you need to be humble and you need to be willing to have a open mind to things that are different from what you would potentially think. But I think the way in which I encourage most people ask me that is, is to think, well, try and relate to people who are a bit different to you, be solid in your understanding of the gospel and be as, as well equipped as you can be and pray God will open, open doors and make things clear to you. 
I think there's not a sort of, I don't have a strong view that there's one particular destiny that God is pointing you in and God gives us wisdom and capacity to make decisions based upon the information that we have at the time. And, uh, and I think we can make those decisions, trusting that God will go with us, whatever those decisions may be. And uh, I think for Grace and I, we had, we went through a sort of stage where we were sort of figuring out, oh, where should we go? Should we go to Timor? Should we go to another place? I'd, I'd had a background in, in international student ministry. Most of that had been particularly amongst international Chinese students. So, so I was thinking, oh, maybe we should investigate China. But for us, we actually went and visited this particular place where there's a lot of minority groups in, in China. And we also visited Timor. It just became very clear to us right away that within our short time in China, we'd been introduced through the local church there. We had contact with perhaps another hundred missionaries who were there. We went to Timor and we could just see straight away, there's so much need here. There's so few people who are gospel minded in ministry. In terms of location, it was a, a no brainer, but prior to making that decision, there's a whole lot of steps in terms of our own godliness, our own willingness to serve, our own um, discerning of our gifts that we sort of thought, yeah, it's a good thing. Grace, she was born in uh, South Korea. We in our own family have cultural differences and we've actually found that quite helpful in, in preparing us for then the different culture overseas. So I think there's great value in spending time relating to people of different cultures, different backgrounds that are different to you that can help in that. But yeah, I don't think there's a necessarily a one size fits all approach to it. Yeah. But what you've been sharing is really helpful. Just yeah, that it is a process of, I guess each of us, whether we end up on the mission field overseas or not walking, seeking the Lord's discernment, but not necessarily doing that from a, a neutral position of, of inactivity, but a position of actual, you know, where am I now? Where's he put me now? Who's he, yeah, that's right. What's he given yeah. me? If you can't serve in the location you're at now, how will you serve when you put in a different location that's totally different from your own? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. Well, Chris Adams, it's wonderful to have you with us today. Great to get some of your perspectives. Really helpful for us to be thinking about this near neighbor, Timor Leste, and, and great for us to be praying for you guys. Thank you for being on the Heart of Mission podcast. Pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on the Heart of Mission podcast. What small role can you be playing in God's big plans? To find out more about CMS and opportunities that might be there for you, search us on the web to find your local branch and local social media channels. CMS is a fellowship of Christian people and churches committed to global mission. We work together to set apart long-term workers who cross cultures to share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ for a world that knows Jesus. See you next time.